As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. From verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray for your anointing on Paul, that his words would come to our heart and we would hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking at John 9. So if you keep your Bibles open, that'd be fantastic, um, because we're going to try and skip through it and uh, pick out some of the verses in it. Um, it's a great story, um, as Carl said, and, and it's a great account about Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, and what that means. Um, but first I thought I'd do, I don't know if you've ever seen, do you know those optical illusions you sometimes see? Okay, so, so you look at them, and I've got some up on the screen behind me now, and uh, there's three of them here actually, so, so don't try and find a picture in all three, because you'll be here for a while. Um, and what you're trying to do is say, so on the left-hand one, there are two women there, depending how you look at it. Okay? I can only actually see one, but I'm told there's a young woman and an old woman. In the middle, you might be able to see a candlestick or two people. And in the right-hand one, this one I like, you'll see a sax player or a man with a big pipe, or you'll see a woman. Okay? Can you see most of those? Not bad. Okay. So that's, that's one. Two, two pictures, what you can see. Now, here's another one. I like this one. So this which I'm sure most people can see, is a horse. Okay, that's not difficult. But now if you tilt your head to the left, okay, and what do you see? It's a frog. Can you see it? Apart from anything else, it was a good reason to do that, to see how silly you all look at the minute (laughs) as you tilt your heads to the side. It's incredible, isn't it? They've drawn it just right. Okay, so... You can bring your heads back straight again. It makes it much easier looking at the Bible. Um, but 
but we're looking tonight at Jesus being the light of the world. And, and what we see is that um, there are two responses in this passage. And there are people who see it and see that he is the light of the world. And there are people who just don't get it at all. Um, so let's put it in a little bit of context. So this is John 9. Um, John has been recounting uh, as an eyewitness to Jesus' life. And he's been doing a whole series of signs through the book of John. Um, so we've seen him tell us about Jesus turning water to wine healing a man's son, feeding the 5,000. And in the chapter just before this, in verse 12, Jesus actually, he says, he kind of steals the thunder of chapter 9 by saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, throughout the gospel, John has been showing us who Jesus is. And that's a theme we'll see in this passage that he returns to again. And we see this passage opens in verse 1. We see Jesus sees this blind man, and he knows that he's blind from birth. But actually, the passage starts a little bit differently as an aside, because the disciples, they ask him, which seems like a pretty honest, innocent question. When they see the man, they, they touch on a topic which was very topical at that time um, in Jesus' time, which was this idea of, so this man was blind from birth. Well, then who sinned? Was it the man? Or was it the man's parents? Because at that time, it was often thought that, that people could sin even when they were in their mother's womb. And so this is a question the disciples asked Jesus. And, and obviously, you'll be, you'll be, well, I don't know, please know that, that suffering is a big topic. And really, given how much else is the passage, I can't do it justice tonight. Um, but I think there's, there's just something as an aside to say, which is that although, although sometimes when we sin... Suffering can be a direct uh, result. So if we think about wars or sometimes when we mistreat people or we do things, that there is you know, sometimes a direct relationship. Jesus says here, that, like pretty clearly, that you can't say that my suffering is always a punishment for a sin I, I did in the past. And so sometimes we suffer and it's not at all clear why. And we don't have to think, well, I need to find it. It must have been something I did that has caused this. Because Jesus says really clearly to the disciples, he says in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned. This man did nothing, and yet he was blind from birth. And Jesus goes on to say that actually, as you see in this passage, that Jesus has used this thing, this hard, hard thing of suffering, to bring glory to him. But let's have a look at the story about the blind man. Okay, so I'm going to talk you through it because I, I thought it was a bit harsh to get Inga to read 41 verses. Um, so I'll tell you the middle bit. So we, we get the bit that Jesus, he's, he's seen this blind man, he's spat in some mud and rubbed it into clay and wiped it in his face, seems a bit odd, and the, but, the, but yet the man has gone to the pool of Siloam and he's returned seeing. So then he goes back to his neighbours and he comes to his neighbours and his neighbours say, who is this man? It kind of looks a bit like my neighbour, but he's seeing. And the neighbour I know sits begging and is blind. So his neighbours don't quite believe. And they say, well, well, how did this happen? And the man explains in really simple terms, there's this man, Jesus, he rubbed some mud in my eyes, and I went away, and I can see. Now, his neighbours couldn't quite figure this out. So they took him to the Pharisees, because they reckoned, well, in those days, the Pharisees were the the men who were well-read and they understood and they'd be able to figure out what has happened here because they've never seen a blind man see, especially one from birth. So they go to the Pharisees and, uh, 
And the Pharisees again ask the question, so how did you see? And the man explains again to the Pharisees very patiently. And the Pharisees, interestingly, are in two camps. So there's one camp that says, well, this can't be true because this man, who they they didn't particularly like, Jesus, couldn't do these things. And then the other camp, which maybe contained Nicodemus, who's the Pharisee that Jesus told you need to be born again, who said, well, maybe there is something in this. And so the Pharisees were, were confused and a bit split. So they came up with this great idea. They said, okay, well, let's bring the man's parents in. So in come his parents. His parents arrive. Do you remember, this is a man who's just been able to see, who's seen his parents for the very first time. So it must have been a bit of a strange situation. And you'd think, right, his parents would be rooting for him, and they would stick by him, and they'd say, absolutely. But his parents, if you look at the passage, they say a very odd thing. The Pharisees say, is this your son? They say, yes. Okay, they can't deny that. The Pharisees say, well, was he blind? And the parents say, yes, absolutely. From, you know, from birth, he was blind. And then the Pharisees say to them, well, do you know, how did this happen? And the parents, rather than saying, well, it's exactly as he said, this man, Jesus, healed him. His parents say, um, well, he's kind of old enough to tell you himself. And then they exit and they leave. Because such was the pressure of being part of the synagogue and part of that establishment in society that his parents couldn't feel that they could stand up for him. And so they said, well, he can speak for himself. And so the Pharisees then turn back on the man and say, give glory to God, tell the truth, surely this man didn't heal you. And the man, to his credit, in all his bravery, he stood up and he said, it is exactly as I said, this man healed me and and as such I'm able to see And the Pharisees then proceed. And and there's a great bit, um, I think you'll see it, where the man finally loses patience with them. And he says to them, see if I can find it. He says to them, um, let's see, here we go. Verse 26. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And the man replies in 27. I have told you already and you won't listen to me. Why do you want to know and hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? Which is nice, nice touch, because clearly they didn't. And so then they went into a rage, and in the end they threw the man out of the temple. And that's where, as Inga picked up the story, Jesus goes, finds him, and then asks him, does he believe, and does he believe in the Son of God? So we see this incredible story about this blind man, and we see the reaction of the Pharisees and the reaction of different people. But one thing that comes through in the passage is this recurring theme, this idea of identity, that the Pharisees are struggling with it and the man's trying to explain it and his parents aren't quite sure is who is this man Jesus? Who is this man that has done something that has never happened before? And in verse 5, Jesus, as we said, says, I am the light of the world. And I think in church we kind of get used to this statement, but it's a pretty outrageous statement. Outrageous for two reasons. Firstly, it's kind of reach and scope because it doesn't say, as you might expect, that Jesus was the light for uh, Nazareth or was the light for Jerusalem at that time or was the light for you know, that particular city. He says, I am the light of the world, the world, everything from, from that ta- part of Palestine through to Africa, through Spain, through Europe, through places they didn't know. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's amazing and pretty outrageous. And the second thing is its exclusivity. So Jesus says, not that he is a light, a light that you can add to something else, or a light that you can pick and mix your spirituality. 
He says, I am the light of the world. There's, there's no other alternative. So you either believe it or you don't. But he's not just a light that you add together. And I think then Jesus kind of backs up because that's an outrageous statement. And so having said that, he then heals the man in the passage to demonstrate that he was credible in terms of what he does. And the man, uh, if you look down with me at 30 to 33, it's a really good summary of Jesus and his identity. When the man says, now that is remarkable. You don't know, he's talking to Pharisees, you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. And we know God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. It's a really straightforward explanation from the man. And it reminds me, I'm sure you've heard it, of um, C.S. Lewis's argument in Mere Christianity, where he says that if there's one thing you can think of Jesus and his identity, um, the most common thing people will say is that he was a good man, a good moral teacher. And actually, there's nothing really that allows you that position. Because Jesus can be one of three things. He can be a liar, so he says these things and he was making them up. He can be a lunatic, so he said them in all earnestness, but actually he was mad. Or he can be Lord, he can be who he said he was. And this man, as, as, as the man argues, that liars and lunatics don't heal people. And as we see later in the Bible, you don't typically die and put your life down for a lunatic like his disciples did. And so the, so the, uh, the decision you, you, which is really at the heart is this idea of who is Jesus and what is he? And, and, and to make that decision about, is he Lord? You may have heard the story once um, of Sherlock Holmes. So Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, they go out camping. And uh, they pitch their tent under the stars, or something like this. Uh, it's lovely. And they go to sleep. So they're sleeping nicely. And then in the middle of the night, Holmes wakes up Watson, nudges him and says, Watson, Watson, look up, look at the sky, what can you see? Watson replies, right, millions and millions of stars, look at them all. And Holmes says, so, so, what do you deduce from this? And Watson says, right, well, millions of stars, lots of them must have planets, right? If there's that many planets, some of them must have maybe life forms. So I deduce there must be life out there somewhere. Holmes says to Watson, Watson, you're an idiot. It means someone's stolen our tent. You see, Watson lay there, couldn't see the facts before his eyes. But in this story, we see the blind man can see the facts. He can see exactly what has happened. And he's really clear about it when he's being questioned. And I think for the, for the blind man, it's this fantastic journey to faith. Because if you, if you look down with me again, you'll see in verse 11, when he replies, first time he's questioned, he says, we get the basic facts. Man called Jesus, put some mud in my eyes. I washed, I can see. Nothing more to it. It's just, this is, this is what happened to me. Verse 17, he moves on. And in verse 17, he says, when they question him again, this man is a prophet. Verse 33, we get an even greater understanding when he says that the man is from God. And then in verse 38, when Jesus finds him again, he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And that word worship in the New Testament typically was reserved for an adoration of something truly or supposedly divine. So this man has gone from, I can just see what I can see, the facts in front of me, 
through this journey of faith and understanding to a point where he can say, Lord, I believe, and, I, and he worships him. And I think for the man, the great thing was he was open. And, and that's something which is you know, great credit to him, in that he was open to see what was in front of his eyes and to the facts that were there. And for, for some people here, you may be in a similar situation, and you're kind of open to learn and to understand and to see. And, and I'd encourage you that through maybe something like Alpha, which is St. Matthew's is running, it, it's a great opportunity to sit down, to have a meal, and to ask those questions. And to say, well, well, let me look at the evidence. Let's look at the facts in front of me. And let me explore it and be open to what might happen and what conclusions I might draw. So that's the man. Light to see. He saw and he had this journey to faith. So let's then look at the Pharisees, the second group in the passage. And so if the, if the man and the blind man saw this light from Jesus, for the Pharisees, it was light to blind. They were blind to what it was, and they refused to see. And actually, if, you were, if you're a scientist, so I, I do a lot of data, if you think about it, okay, so the man, blind man, it's a journey to faith, right? Pharisees, pretty much, was a journey to hardening their hearts. Because, you see, the Pharisees, they had everything going for them. You know, they had learnt from a young age. They knew their scriptures. They knew everything about the Bible. They even knew the passage in Isaiah 35, 5, where it said, then will the eyes of the blind be opened, which is a really clear reference to the Messiah. So when they saw this, they should have thought, wow, this is it. This is the Messiah that God has sent to save us. But they refused to see that at all, and they were blind to it. A story was once told um, of a conversation, you might have heard the story, between a U.S. naval ship and the authorities in the Canadian coast, the Canadians. And, um, and, and it says from the Americans, it says, please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. And then you get the Canadians, we recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The Americans say, well, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course, very typical Americans, And then the Canadians say, no, I say again, you divert your course. To which the Americans reply, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln. This is the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north. Or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship which the Canadians reply, this is a lighthouse, your call. <laughs> and I think for the, um, the, for, for the Pharisees, they had this same stubbornness, right? They just, they, they were blind and they refused to acknowledge what was before their eyes. So if we looked at what the blind man did, let's look at the Pharisees in the passage. Let's look, they start in verse 16 where they say, if you look down, this man is not from God. Okay, so straight in. So how, how, how sad is this that the man appears in front of them. He was blind from birth and he's now able to see. And the first thing they do isn't, wow, this has never been done. What could this mean? They say, this man is not from God. And then, which is genius, they go on and say, and can you believe he did it on a Sunday? You know, and that, that, that was their kind of first response. And then they get worse. So verse 24, he, they say, we know this man is a sinner. And verse 29 they say, we don't know where he came from. And then in verse 34, when they throw him out of the, 
um, synagogue, they say, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And I think in this, there are some challenges for us as a church as well. Because, you know, we do, I guess, we like to, to laugh a bit at the Pharisees. But, but, you know, do we have some of the blind spots that maybe the Pharisees have? Um, do we have things that we, we know are wrong and they're staring us in the face, but yeah, we look right past them and we don't deal with them or we don't address them? And I guess do we have people close to us who are, we are accountable to who will tell us, do you know what? There's something there that you continually ignore and you pretend it isn't there. And do we invite them to ask us those hard questions? And are we gracious in listening to what they might say? But I think secondly, how are we as a church in terms of welcoming new people? Because I think the interesting thing of this blind man was that when he arrived at the Pharisees, he wasn't perfect. He hadn't confessed Jesus as a saviour just after he was made see. He went on this journey to faith. And I think that's interesting for, you know, as we run the Alpha, as we reach out to the community, as people join our church, they're going to be on a journey to faith. And they might be a bit, you know, rough around the edges, and they might not have everything polished and perfect as we come to expect. And are we going to be welcoming to them? Are we going to focus on the fact that God's working miraculously in their lives? Are we going to focus on the legality and the things which they don't do that we expect them to do? And so I think we need to watch out for our blind spots, but also we want to be welcoming to people who join and people who come. Okay, so just coming towards the end then. We see in the passage, we see these two ways to live played out. And we see that Jesus' light is a bit like a spotlight. And we can follow the light. It can be light to see like the blind man. Or it can be light to blind that we ignore like the Pharisees. And Jesus makes this point starkly as he closes the passage in verse 39. He says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. We have a decision to make as to whether to follow Jesus or to ignore him. So I've got a little um, and two ways to live. So I have a little card in my wallet, which I have to confess, I don't bring out as much as I really would like to. And it's got this little thing called two ways to live. Uh, you may have heard of it, you may not. But it's a really great summary of, of what it is we believe and about the decision we all have to come to make. And so just in the next slide I have it. And it has these six pictures. Six pictures, the idea is you could draw on the back of a beer mat or you could, you know, you could explain to someone in simple terms. And it really just goes through what it is about Christianity. And I'm not going to spend a long time on it. I have, I have lots of copies of these, but if you do want them. But essentially, God created the world perfect. And he made us to rule, actually, which is pretty cool, way back in Genesis. But the second one was, we said, you know what? we can do a better job ourselves. And so we decided we knew best, and we decided to rule our lives ourselves. And to be honest, we typically don't do a great job of it, and that's, that's really seen when we look around the world. So the third one is then, God is just and God is fair. And so our turning away from him and the thing the Bible talks about sin deserves the right punishment, which is death. And so that's the third thing, which is a pretty bad place if you, if you actually ran out of time and didn't get any time to do the bottom three. But thankfully, there's a fourth one. And that's that God, as well as being just, God loves us very, very much. And so he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus, the light of the world, into the world 
and he was perfect. And in his life, he then took the punishment that was due us and in our place. And when you go to five, we see that Jesus went back to heaven because he rose from the dead after he died. And the last one is the key thing. And this kind of this passage plays it out, which is what are you going to do with Jesus? Because there's two ways to live. You can continue to live ruling yourself and ruling your own world. And, and actually Jesus will and God will say, fine, and, but you'll be on your own when it comes to judgment. Or you can trust in Jesus like the blind man did and put your trust in him and Jesus will be standing beside you on that day of judgment. So just finishing, I've got three challenges for us, okay? So the first one I think we see here, that our faith is about Jesus and who he is. And that's really kind of central to it. And we always run the danger of adding more stuff to it and saying, well, actually, it's it's about who Jesus is and a little bit this and a little bit this. But really, it stands and falls on how people deal with who Jesus is. Secondly, we, we all have a decision to make. There are two ways to live, and we need to decide. And for our friends and for those who say, I'm going to hold off, they're really still making a decision. And the third one, which I think we should remember, is the power of your own story. Because it's clear in this passage that there is real power in this man's testimony. It wasn't complicated. It wasn't really theological. um, But what it was was honest, and it was factual, and it centered on what Jesus had done for him. And some of the most powerful evidence that Christianity is true and it works is how it changes lives. And so for us, if you do believe and Jesus has changed your life, then let's know our story. What is your story? And let's be prepared to tell others all about it.